You and Tony ate the game. I'll take it, man. Fucking world. Fit in the Costa Nostra. Fuck this. I'm going to Boca. Fucking world. Fit in the Costa Nostra. Fuck this. I'm going to Boca. Welcome back to With Pulp. A podcast of hypercapitalist self advancement in the era of the studio system. Today's episode, episode three, is all about eggs. If you're new to this podcast and slightly confused, uh, yes, this is still a podcast about The Sopranos. Don't worry. And I'd just like to apologise now to everyone. This episode is not suitable for vegans. And before anyone asks, no, this has nothing to do with the Easter baskets. But first and foremost, I'd like to take a second to thank everybody for your kind words and support for this podcast so far. And this will be the first episode I'm recording since it's been released and it's officially out there. So I'm just happy that all this useless information about a TV show that I've had rattling around in my head for the last 20 years can finally see the light of day in some form of constructive output and I just want to mention as a side note yeah I joke and I call myself a gatekeeper but that's really just an act you know in case you don't know or you weren't following me back then someone once replied to one of my tweets calling me a gatekeeping piece of shit which to me I took as a compliment a badge of honor that I adopted and sure I can get a little excitable with my stance on certain theories, especially in the last episode. But that's just really for comedic effects. I just want to make that clear to everyone. My whole thing when it comes to these conspiracies and hidden subtexts is that I'm all about the debate, the conversation that comes with it. I'm never going to say anything is definitely this or it's definitely that. That's not me. I actually cannot fucking stand it when I see someone online doubling down on their own Uh, hypothetical theory and trying to claim some kind of superior intelligence over someone else's theory on the internet because when I was listening back to the previous episode episode two I was kind of worried that maybe that's how I was coming across but I just want to make sure and just assure you all that it's all in jest and that it's just a bit a persona if you will I'm really not that insecure about my own intellect that I have to attack people online nor do i feel i'm any more intelligent than someone else just because i've spent way more hours compartmentalizing minute fragments of a fucking tv show from 20 years ago because when it comes down to it that's pretty fucking embarrassing shit but i'm owning it so going back to discussing conspiracy theories and subtext in the sopranos i am perfectly happy living in the gray area is that not the whole point of the show the gray we rarely get a straight answer that's what we love about the show surely why the fuck are you trying to force some black or white perspective that's not the show just embrace the gray learn to live in the gray i don't deal with absolutes absolutes just tend to ruin the dynamics of the things you love my whole shtick is to dig up as much shit and shine a light on it, maybe shit on some things, maybe dismiss some things, maybe champion some other perspectives, but always weighing the pros and cons based on each theory's own merits, always keeping the door open for further discussion, for further possibilities, presenting the evidence to yourselves 
so you can come to your own conclusions. But mostly what I'm trying to say is that I'm very conscious that I don't want to make this podcast about me and my opinion. It's about you guys, really, at the end of the day. I fucking hate having to listen to other people's opinions. Opinionated people deserve to be shot, but that's just my opinion. In episode one and two, I covered a bunch of different possible theories, ranging from breaking the visual narrative down to the sequential story narrative and uprooted as much dirt and filth as I could manage to sum up and rationally come to a cohesive conclusion about what is happening in the final episode. And for some of you seasoned vets, I went through a handful of theories. Some of those would have been covering old, familiar ground. And for some of you, hopefully, I would have opened up your mind's eye to a lot of the incontrovertible Easter eggs buried in that last episode. But now that's out of the way, we can finally move forward. And we can finally get to the good shit, the weird, the strange, the symbolic, the tropologically perverse aspects of The Sopranos. And as I mentioned, today is all about eggs and how they fit into the show's expansive, subcutaneous mythology. And as Tony put it himself, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well... The egg predates the chicken by at least 150 million years, give or take. So it's the egg. But for the obstinate amongst you who want to ask, well, where did the first chicken egg come from? Then that all leads back to the Archaeopteryx, which would be the earliest recognised prehistoric bird or whatever the science nerds want to call the closest thing to a bird that was basically the original genetic blueprint for all birds, as we've come to know of which are not reptilian, and of course, of which lay eggs. So there's your answer, and let that be the end of that. But why are we talking about eggs? So, I appreciate some of you are new to The Sopranos, so it's easy to have overlooked some of the key symbolic usage of eggs throughout the show. As I mentioned in the previous episode about the use of oranges in The Godfather, where the appearance of an orange on screen acts as an omen for danger, usually signalling a murder or the death of a character. And in The Sopranos, it seems David Chase has opted for a similar technique, however, replacing oranges for eggs. But this is where it gets a little bit more interesting. In the remake of The Departed, Scorsese symbolically uses the letter X to signal a character's fate. For example, if you remember, there's that guy falling from the building. All of the windows on the way down have X's taped to the glass. Throughout, we see Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters standing in front of architectural constructs that are made up of X's. In scenes where decisions are made that ultimately lead them to their demise, you can see X's sprayed on billboards. Uh, spoiler alert, the scene just before Matt Damon gets killed, he walks down a corridor and there's a huge X taped to the floor. When DiCaprio gets clipped, there's an X taped to the wall behind his head, etc, X, etc. So the X is used to mark a character, to mark someone's fate. Apparently, I think there's like 15 or 16 different instances where an X looms over these characters. So similarly, in The Sopranos, eggs marks the spot now you're all thinking no stop you're wrong just that's bullshit because the departed remake was made well after the sopranos had aired 
but just shut the fuck up because I'm not even close to getting around to finishing my point. Rude. Don't interrupt me. This, the reason Scorsese did this, the reason he used the letter X to mark someone's impending death, is because it's an homage to the movie Scarface. I'm talking about the original black and white version from 1932 by Howard Hawks, where the use of an X on screen is used in the same way to mark someone's impending death. And this one example, as well as Coppola's Oranges and many other Easter eggs hidden in movies, are just something that are constantly explored in critical film study classes. And this connection itself lies at the heart of the true meaning behind the name of this podcast. We know David Chase is a fan of the old classic gangster movies. We've seen a number of them used on the show, but just for those who are potentially still confused as to why this subtitle of this podcast is a podcast of hyper-capitalist self-advancement in the era of the studio system is because it's lifted from the very first conversation that Tony has with Noah. Where Noah being the stereotypically overbearing film buff that he thinks he is, he mentions that the course module that he and Meadow are taking is a course called Images of Hypercapitalist Self-Advancement in the Era of the Studio System. How deliciously grandiloquent. But that line comes straight after this classic zinger. You a film buff? Some say Hawks invented the genre with Scarface, but Cagney was modernity. Mooney was not, so I give the nod to William Wellman. So we know David Chase has seen Scarface. We know he's familiar with Howard Hawks. He references it on the show. We know he's a film buff. He's already referenced Oranges a number of times. And we know he has a twisted sense of humour. So in yet another nod, albeit with comedic license, we have another homage to the use of cinematic Easter eggs in gangster movies. This time, David Chase has gone for a play on the word X and instead used eggs to mark characters' fates. But why eggs? Probably because there's so much more range that you can get using that poetic license. And slightly off topic, but yet still quite poetic. In a meta art imitating life, imitating art moment, those final minutes that lead up to Christopher's death, what is he doing? He crashes the car because he's high, because he's distracted by messing around with the stereo on his car whilst blasting the soundtrack to The Departed, which I love in many ways because it really concludes Christopher's arc, well, Christopher's meta arc, at least, that he was always so worried about. He is introduced through a Scorsese reference, and he exits through a Scorsese reference. What I mean by that is in the early episodes, he's just a low-ranking runt, but the start of his character's trajectory as the Christopher Maltesanti that he would become only really begins in the episode where he shoots the guy in the foot, mirroring, but also overcoming what happens to his character in Goodfellas, an origin movie about a kid who wanted to grow up to be a gangster, and he leaves the show because of The Departed, also by Scorsese, a movie about people 
departing. <laughs> I'm not even going to dress that one up to be any more complex than that. And the fact that it's a soundtrack to a movie should not go unnoticed because, again, his aspirations to be in Hollywood, I'm sure that's kind of obvious. But it all cynically fulfills his character's arc in the most depressive of ways. You know who else had an arc? Noah. Noah Tannenbaum. Is it Tannenbaum or Tannenbaum? So let's talk about the use of Easter eggs in both film and literature. A literary Easter egg is an intentionally obscure reference, the meaning of which requires research, specialised knowledge or hints to uncover. Once decoded, it supports the work's themes or makes a personal connection to the author. This is not a modern concept. This was popular as far back as Shakespeare, as far back as Dickens. The use of symbolism and recurring themes serving to add depth and offering optional intellectual stimulation that allows the reader to invest themselves into the story, making it a much more personal connection. The egg itself, classically used to symbolise the cycle of life, birth, rebirth, resurrection, fertility, and ultimately death. In The Great Gatsby, though in a geographical context, the West Egg represents the location of Gatsby's mansion, new money and wealth earned through the rise of organised crime and illegal means. And then the East Egg being old money, wealth inherited, not earned. And I don't want to patronise anyone here, but you know there's certain parallels that we can't really ignore here. And so through all of my intensive research that I've done for this podcast, I've tried to track down every instance or as close to every single instance of eggs being featured or mentioned in the show for your listening pleasure. David Chase has mentioned in the past how fond he is of peppering his episodes with Easter eggs for avid viewers to hunt down. He even mentioned that he had a lot of fun hiding Easter eggs in the many saints of Newark. So, could his usage of eggs be literally Easter eggs? Wait, could be the other way around. Could his Easter eggs be literally eggs? I'm not too sure which way around is the most appropriate. But I don't want to turn this question into an existential debate. <laughs> Sorry. Don't fight the egg puns, it's just going to make this ordeal a lot harder. So, I have divided all of these egg samples into six subcategories. Because not all instances of eggs mean the same thing, though they are somewhat united under one big umbrella. I was going to try and say umbrella egg, but I think I'm pushing my luck already with these egg puns, so I won't. Uh, so... Half a dozen categories and the first category, <clears throat> the first category focuses on the most famous one that I'm sure most of you are already familiar with. This category focuses on instances where eggs equal death. So this runs parallel with Coppola's Oranges and Hawks. X, that's really hard to say, Hawks's X. Uh, this is where an egg is a harbinger 
of death. Eggs is eggs is death. So let's begin with everybody's favourite, the one egg reference that everyone seems to remember. In Whoever Did This, in the moments leading up to Ralphie's death, he offers to make Tony some scrambled eggs. You know, Tone, Justin loves my eggs, see? Sour cream's the secret ingredient. And I love this scene so much because it's one of those scenes that evolve the more times you watch it. That first time you see it, you're stunned. You're cheering at the TV, but you're also saddened that one of the most antagonising antagonists has left the show. And there seems to always be a new layer that seems to peel off. And you're like, okay, he definitely killed Paiomai, but you do feel bad for him because of his kid. But you definitely want to see him get what he deserves. And he just so happens to say the exact wrong things to trigger Tony's berserk mode. And then what happens next is just a dumb fight that gets fatally out of hand at first glance. But then the more you watch this scene, you're like, okay, hang on a fucking second. There is no evidence that he did set the fire that killed Paiomai. The information we get is deliberately evasive. And the only facts that are presented to us are conveniently summarised for us by our characters vocalised suspicions. All of Ralphie's excuses are plausible, but we also know the character pretty well by this point and that doesn't work well in his favour. So therefore we are led to believe Tony's side of things and this is the narrative we initially connect with. The narrative that leads us to believe that all of these events help to neatly connect the dots for us. Because that's what we do as humans. Our brains are designed to try and make sense of odd circumstances. So if you want to call it Occam's razor or just simple A to B to C logic, this episode really makes a point in tricking us to follow Tony's path of conclusion. Whether or not he's acting as the unreliable narrator in the third person or just adopting the classic defective detective trope. And the more times you watch it, you realise Tony has gone over to Ralphie's with the intention of killing him. And he's just waiting for an excuse, an opportunity for him to exploit to his advantage to kill him. And Tony is relentless. He will not let it go. He keeps goading Ralph into losing his temper so that he can use that excuse to kill him. And it's performed so, so well. But anyway, I'm getting excited and going off topic. The point is that Ralph offers Tony eggs, and that's one of the worst things that you can do. Tony accepts, and a few minutes later, Ralph dies. And may I add, in a fitting tribute to his obsession with the movie Gladiator, Ralph gets his Gladiator ending, he and Tony battling it out in the arena of Ralph's kitchen. Him swinging that frying pan around like a gladius, that's what you call a gladiator's sword. Uh, I did the fucking research, don't worry. And so in that one-on-one -on -one battle to the death, he loses, but he dies with honour or whatever crazy shit these mad bastard types actually believe in. So there we have Ralph offering to make Tony eggs and ending up dead very soon after. The addition of sour cream is a fun one to pick apart because you could say their relationship had soured across the events that transpired over the previous episodes, building to this very moment. Cream is often symbolic 
or a colloquial term for money and wealth, and the only reason Tony hadn't killed him sooner was because he was a top earner, provided him with his cream gross, which had now soured. And, of course, Ralph is not the only person who's offered to make Tony an egg. And listen, I know you're all waiting for me to say the line, but you got to wait for that. Richie April offers to make Tony some eggs when he turns up to Janice's house to find Richie in his underwear, learning that he spent the night and he's back with Janice. So that character just marked himself for death. It's like the black spot. Now, it's not as immediate as what happened with Ralph. It takes a few episodes until the egg of death catches up with him. But listen, some death eggs take longer to hatch than others. But it is interesting that two major antagonists in The Sopranos <laughs> offer Tony eggs and end up being murdered. Of course, the circumstances are completely different, but the result remains the same. In the episode Long Term Parking, in one of their final scenes together, Adriana offers to make Christopher some eggs. Why would you do that, Aid? Come on. And of course, shortly after, she is murdered. And I've got a whole spiel about Adriana and her eggs lined up for later on, uh, but we'll dive into that when we get to that. But for now, we're just sticking with just death. So that is three pretty big characters who end up killed, all of which marked for death by offering to make eggs. Carmine Lupatazzi, the boss of New York, dies at the start of season five on the golf course where he chokes on egg salad. Egg salad, the silent killer. A man who once lived a life of power and authority most likely rose up through the ranks using violence and force. A callous man who puts money and business above friendship and loyalty felled by a mouthful of egg salad going down the wrong pipe. I mean, okay, he doesn't die straight away, and yeah, it was technically the stroke that caused it, but we know it was really the eggs. It's a pretty embarrassing way to go. Speaking of embarrassing ways to go, Silvio tells the guys he's going to buy them all an egg cream. He does this in order to clear the room so that Gigi and Tony could talk in private. And this builds up to a few scenes later on where Gigi dies on the toilet. And this is from an aggregate of symptoms. <laughs> this is from an aggregate of symptoms. Stress, constipation from the stress, the Thanksgiving turkey acting like spackle in his bowels. But we all know the real reason why. It was eggs. Of course it was eggs. Now... Now, obviously, this isn't storied. This isn't a part of the narrative. Of course, Silvio mentioning egg cream has zero bearing on the structural synapses of the story that results in Gigi dying on the toilet. Nobody is saying that. It's purely from a visual and literary symbolic perspective. And I will jump ahead and say not all deaths are directly connected to eggs in terms of A to B. But the instance of an egg will usually alert the audience to the possibility of a death in that very same episode. And if this is all still very confusing, we will discuss further, don't worry. For now, we're really just connecting eggs with death. And I'm just going to say this, Gigi deserved better. I would have loved 
to see him go a few more seasons, but what are you going to do? In Sopranos home movies, Janice offers to make Tony and Bobby a frittata for breakfast before they head off to go and meet with the French Canadians. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what a frittata, a frittata is, it's essentially a quiche, but minus the pie crust base, kind of like a slow-cooked omelette, sometimes baked rather than fried, usually quite thick, filled with the veg and whatever's lying around, but it's an egg dish. Now, the second half of this episode shows Tony forcing his hand and making Bobby perform his first ever kill, popping his cherry, as he calls it, and of course, off he goes to murder Janice's son, Harpo or Hal, or now he's changed his name once again to René Lacour. I guess you could call it Chekhov's eggs. For those of you who aren't familiar with the term Chekhov's gun, it's a writing trope that states, as the writer, if you're going to write in the inclusion of a gun, then that gun has to be used at some point later on in the book. So, Chekhov's eggs, as I'm calling it, is that if an egg is declared at some point in an episode of The Sopranos, then a soul must be sacrificed at some point later on in that very same episode. And the poetry in this concept is that, as I mentioned, if Ritata is essentially a quiche without a crust. And this episode focuses on Bobby earning his crust. And I appreciate that this phrase may not translate to all parts of the world, but to earn your crust is a common idiom, similar to earning your stripes, or just make an honest living doing work that you don't really want to do, which in this instance is beautifully poignant, if completely and definitely not honest. In the episode, how am I going to be able to make this work? Commendatory note. <laughs> Fuck. In the episode, commendatory, Angie Bumps drops a carton of eggs all over the kitchen floor. It was a full dozen as well. A pack of 12. Huge waste of eggs. It's a heartbreaking scene. And this was moments before Big Pussy walks down the stairs on his way out to murder Jimmy Bones. That's the real name of the Elvis impersonator. The eggs have eyes and ears everywhere they know. And what is interesting here is that this is the scene where Angie tells him that her biopsy was negative. So is there a connection with a character breaking eggs and in return having their lives spared with the caveat or irony that to save your own life must this come at the cost of another life. A soul must be traded, if you will, in this case, with the Elvis impersonator. It's eggs for thought. Sorry, it's food for thought. Now I know what you're thinking. She drops a whole box of 12 eggs. That's a full dozen eggs broken. Now surely, doesn't that mean more than one person needs to die? That suggests the eggs demand another 11 more sacrifices. This puts the characters of the Sopranos in debt to the eggs. The threat of death looming over each one of them. Maybe, maybe not. Let me ask you a question. How many deaths occur during this season? How many people die in season two of the Sopranos? Don't bother answering me because I'm going to tell you. 
Melfi's patient, the one who commits suicide, Patsy's brother, Philly Spoons, Reverend Herman James Sr., Jimmy Bones, the Elvis impersonator, Tom Sr., that's Tony's uncle-in-law slash Barbara's father-in-law, Valdemar Vychuk, the garbage truck explosion guy, Sean Gismonte, Matthew Bevelacqua, Richie April, Big Pussy, and finally, Little Pussy Malanga, as it is later revealed. And I will save you all the effort of counting all those names. I just named the 12 characters who died in season two of The Sopranos. 12 people died because Angie Bomps dropped a box of eggs. So let that fucking sink in for one moment. The eggs are no fucking joke. Let's move on to Cassie B, Karen Bacalar, Bobby's OG wife. We only just met her, and yet the David giveth, and he chaseth away. Bobby gets that phone call from his kid, passing on the message that Karen wants him to go pick up steak and eggplants. And yes, eggplants do count. I'll be going into why much later on. Of course, the rest of the entire world just calls it a fucking aubergine, but we're stuck with this weird and awkward word, eggplant. And it has to count because literally a couple of yards away from him, his wife's body is tragically lying in a heap of twisted metal. Karen deserved better is all I'm saying. Those, what, two episodes that she was in, I thought she made a solid impact as a valued member of the mob wise, but maybe that's just me. I thought she deserved better, and that's all I'm saying. In D-Girl, during that movie that Jon Favreau was directing, we see Janine Garofalo mention, I never had an egg cream. The egg creameth returns. And of course, in this scene, the two characters are just lying in a pool of their own blood and dialoguing back and forth in the moments leading up to them dying on the street. And yet, okay, it's not... It, it's fictional. It's a movie within a TV show. It's technically not a real death. But then an egg cream contains neither egg nor cream. So you kind of get what you asked for there. But you have the verbal mention of an egg. And you've got a death, even if it is fictional. It's still one plus one. It's simple math eggmatics. And then finally, in this category of eggs equal death, we have Vito's brother. Brian Spatterfor, sending his colleague into the deli where he mentions that Freddy, whoever he is, wanted peppers and eggs. And this is moments before Mustang Sally comes at him and smashes his head open with a golf club. Now he doesn't die, but this still sets up a chain of disastrous events. As the result of this, Bobby Sr. goes to hunt down Mustang Sally and ends up killing him and his roommate. And thus the egg not only claims its sacrifice, but it gets another one for free. A double yoker, as they call it. A two-for-one special. And as Junior mentions in this very episode, it comes in threes. And sure enough, Bobby Senior himself dies in the process. That is three deaths. And the egg only calls for one. So there are two deaths floating around in the stratosphere. That's technically two get-out-of-jail cards. And this is super important. Because this episode, Another Toothpick, is the episode where Junior has to come to terms with the fact that he has cancer. And as we know, he eventually survives. Could this have allowed him to dodge the bullet, so to speak? 
could his life have been spared by one of these additional unclaimed egg murders, an egg debt perhaps paid forward, cashing in a free life, I don't know. And it's worth mentioning that Junior's relationship with Eggs is very fascinating, as he is the one character who has the most connections to instances of Eggs, and yet he never has one, and he survives the entire show. And I will go further into this later on, but for now that is just one example. Now, let me deviate momentarily, because I do have another question for you. Yeah, who the fuck is sponsoring you, motherfucker? The answer is still nobody. As I mentioned before, podcast adverts are fucking annoying and disruptive. And at the end of the day, I'm not doing this to make money. I don't want to do sponsors and paid promotions because, I don't know, it just seems transparent. I'm only doing this podcast for the fans because I am a fan. I'm doing this for people just like me, the obsessive types. And doing this for the people who want a podcast that isn't afraid to go this deep. I want to start conversations. I want to keep people talking. I'm not doing this for fake fame or glory. But what I didn't appreciate when I started all this is just how much time this takes to articulately plan these episodes to do it properly. And to do it justice and just how much attention a project like this actually deserves. It has become quite overwhelming not to mention the subsequent damage that this is doing to my mental health just trying to get all of this useless info out of my head and for it to make rational sense to you listeners so if you are enjoying this series and you do want to support the podcast as i've mentioned previously my link tree on my twitter page has tons of links where you can support uh, there's my Redbubble store where you can buy t-shirts, links to my music, or if you want to support directly, I have now set up a coffee page, that's K-O-F-I, uh, where you can donate as much or as little as you like, and that can be found at the top of my link tree uh, under the donate slash support the pod button. It's just a pay what you like, pay what you want, pay whatever you're comfortable with, I'm not going to do subscription or memberships or anything like that. I'm not going to do any kind of paywall. It's just there if you want to donate, if you want to support this podcast. I'm just trying to be as honest as I can there. And that is my sales pitch done for the episode. Thank you. Peppers and eggs. That's what I should have. So now let's move on to our second category. Now, death can be symbolic of many things. It can mean literally... Death as in the conclusion of sentient life and Jesus Christ, it seems all I ever seem to talk about on this podcast is death. But in tarot, as in tarot cards and fortune telling, the death card can be interpreted as an end. Not necessarily an end of life, but an end to a chapter of your life. A change or a new beginning, uh, which may be positive or negative. And our second category focuses on instances of eggs marking an end, a drastic change, or the closing of a chapter. So let's start with the most drastic example on this list. Let's talk about Valentina. She offers to make Tony egg beaters and Tabasco. Now historically, when people make Tony eggs, they end up dead. And it's almost the case here, but not quite. She unfortunately sets herself on fire and suffers life-changing injuries in the form of some pretty 
gruesome burns. And let's be clear, she was on fire, not just a little bit. She was an actual ball of fire. She could have very easily died had Tony not ran over, covered her with that blanket and put it out. If he wasn't there, there is no question that she would have either burned to death on the spot or just as easily set the entire apartment on fire and died either way. So the fact that she would have died is very interesting. But Tony steps in and changes her fate. Now this only happens because she was making food for him. And sure, Tony says this could have easily happened by making food for herself. But then again, you know, she was actually distracted by him when her kimono catches fire. Now, egg beaters are essentially a brand of liquid egg that comes in a carton. It's basically pre-mixed omelette or scrambled egg mix that you pour directly into a pan. So you could say it's kind of like cheating in a way. Making eggs is a process, it's a ritual. You pick the egg, you crack it open, there's a risk you break the yolk, there's a risk you get a bit of shell in there. You know, there's an element of skill involved. Egg beaters removes the skill, it removes that ritual, which some people may say is just convenience, some may say it's a shortcut, but I imagine a lot of people here will agree that it's a bit of a cop-out, it's lazy, it's basically cheating, just like Valentina cheated death by not using real eggs. And do I honestly even need to explain the symbolism of Tabasco here? I'm assuming Tabasco is universal, it's a brand of hot sauce, it's spicy, it's fiery, don't make me explain the obvious here. What I do want to talk about is how this happens towards the end of season 5. Now at the start of this season, in the episode Rat Pack, Tony is wearing that iconic Tabasco polo shirt, I'm sure you know the one. If you missed it, uh, just google Tony Soprano Tabasco shirt. It's beautiful. It's a black polo shirt with about 50 tiny Tabasco sauce balls dotted all over it. Now, was this preempting Valentina's demise somehow? Was this the writers or David Chase himself taunting us with some spicy foreshadowing? It's probably just a coincidence, if I'm being honest, but there you go. So the point of this scene is that Tony was visiting Valentina... And he was about to do his breakup speech and end things between them, but then this, of course, happens. So this counts as closing the chapter on their time together. It's the relationship coming to the end. But what's funny is that the eggs themselves actually get involved here. It's like a wildlife documentary. The crew aren't supposed to get involved with the natural course of events. Uh, they're meant to let them play out for better or for worse. And here the eggs themselves actually prevent the end from happening but of course still he visits her later in the burn unit and tells her that he's going to get back with his wife so ultimately even the eggs cannot intervene and change fate good to know now let's talk about Irina or oh, it's really supposed to be pronounced Irina but uh, we're going to go with Irina Tony's first OG that's original Gumar well the first one we see at least in season 4 Long after they've broken up, she's with Zelman. When Tony's over at his house and there's that awkward moment where she's trying to make him jealous, telling him how happy she is with him. And she offers to make them egg salad. Irina, what the fuck are you doing? Don't ever offer Tony eggs. <laughs> Fam, I don't. It's suicide. Now, egg salad is what killed 
carmine. You gotta be careful with that shit. And this is boiled eggs mashed together with mayonnaise. Jesus Christ, I'm gonna be sick just thinking about it now. Mayonnaise is, of course, made from eggs. So it's eggs with eggs. It's truly amazing that nobody dies or fucking vomits for that matter. However, this does mark the beginning of the end for Irina and Ron's relationship. Later on in this episode, Tony starts getting all emotional and returns to the house to beat him with his belt, emasculating Zelman in front of Irina. And as we learned later on from her cousin, he couldn't perform as a man from that moment on. So that is yet another relationship claimed by the eggs. Brought to an end by the egg salad, the creamy harbinger of misery. In season three, just before Tony calls Janice to make her come to their mother's funeral, we see her living with her boyfriend, emphasis on the boy, and delivers that excellent Elvis impression. Eat your eggs, baby. <laughs> now this is the first time we see Janice in this season, and it's an interesting one because there's a few ways that we can look at this. We could link these eggs with the death of Livia. However, the fact that they appear after the death doesn't really sit right with me. Kind of like egg salad. I feel like this is more directly linked to Janice and her role within the show. In season two, she was brought in as a guest role for just one season. And a fucking phenomenal one at that. But it wasn't planned on her being a permanent fixture. I guess the writers were anticipating a handful of guest appearances like many other characters do. But with the death of Nancy, the writers needed someone to fill that role in Tony's life. That motherly presence, well more, maternal dominance to be more exact. The source of all of Tony's insecurities and emotional failings and so the character of Janice returns to The Sopranos full-time as Tony's grief provider once more and be the constant reminder of his mother and how fucked up the two of them ended up. So this works on two different levels. There is this new shift in focus that really acts as a turning point for the show. The backbone of the first two seasons are propped up by this relationship of Tony and his mother and of course Nancy dies before season three. Moving forward, you could say that from season three onwards, whilst the relationship with his mother continues, albeit in the reflective past tense, uh, through conversations with Melfi and rearing its head by proxy through Janice, it's almost like a conclusion to a chapter in the Sopranos' life, as in the actual Sopranos family. And whether this is a change for good or bad, that's really up to you. Personally, I think season three of the Sopranos is the Probably the most finest example of television writing to have ever occurred as it really challenges all those mundane tropes in TV writing from stereotyping and the use of fridging and audience expectations. But whatever, back to Janice. We can also look at this from a narrative perspective. She has historically been a character who has always run away. She returns in season two, seems to settle down and then of course the rituation happens. That's what we refer to as the Richie situation, FYI. And then off she goes and runs away. Now, season three marks a shift in character, a final nail in the coffin for Parvati and the old Janice. 
and birthing the new Janice. I'm not saying improved, just the new Janice, where she, of course, finds God, which is clearly bullshit, and mostly marks the start of her becoming a mainstay and returning to New Jersey for good, which ultimately leads to her settling down with Bobby and having kids and blah, 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 blah. So getting back to the eggs in question. Like I say, they could refer to any number of the reasons that I just mentioned, but definitely belong in this category as they're signaling the end of one chapter and a change in character. And a side note, during Livia's funeral, my favorite, Carmela's dad, Hugo, he kicks off and screams, we suffered for years under that yoke of that woman. Now, obviously, we're talking about Y-O-K-E, yoke. Which, if you don't know, the yoke is that wooden bar that you attach to animals' necks when they're pulling a cart, most commonly with ox. But also to stop um, horses from going off in different directions when pulling a stagecoach, etc. Similar to when they put humans in the stocks in medieval times and blah, blah, blah. But, of course, it sounds like yoke, Y-O-L-K, the orange tasty part of an egg so there's no chance I'm going to let that one slip through our fingers but why am I including this reference here well this as I said is at Livia's funeral so there's the obvious connection here but it's also said at a time when everybody basically gives up pretending to say nice things about and basically turn on Janice and this is the first time we see Hugo stand up for himself I've had a lifetime of her bullshit. I love him so much, but there's just a side note that I'm just throwing in there as an extra for you. Now, upon learning that Nucci is not actually Paulie's real mother, he, of course, casts her to the side, basically disowns her, cuts off all ties emotionally and financially, and he calls her the goose with the golden eggs. And, of course, this is just a classic malaprop. The goose that lays the golden eggs is one of Aesop's fables, which is about a farmer who comes into possession of a goose that lays one golden egg every day. And in his greed, he decides to cut the goose open on that one day when it failed to lay an egg, ultimately fucking himself in the process. Well, there's tons of different versions of this, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, in this situation, poorly would be the goose and Nucci would be the one benefiting from the golden eggs and thus shooting herself in the foot. You can't really be both the goose with the golden eggs. It doesn't really make sense. But here we have eggs, golden eggs. And yet it signals the end of an era for both Paulie and Nucci. All of his life, he assumed that she was his mother, but then finds out she was actually his aunt. And he feels like his whole life has been a lie which I imagine at that age can be quite disorientating. And she's benefited from him believing this. She was always very well looked after and he treated her like a queen. As the poet Fred Durst said, he did it all for the Nucci. But this all changes and this dynamic comes to an end, I'd say, for the worst. It'll take us some time for Paulie to finally come round to his senses and let her back into his life once again. But the symbolic nature of the eggs being golden is quite obvious, I guess. This comes at a time 
where he spent a fortune trying to get Nucci into Green Grove, and he uses the fact that he will no longer be financially supporting her anymore to make a point of her punishment. And this ties in nicely with the source material of Aesop's fables. So moving on to Tony Egg, sorry, Tony B, Tony Blundetto. In season five, we see him return from prison where he tries to make a go of the civilian lifestyle. His boss, Mr. Kim, offers to put up money for his massage business and everything's going smoothly until he finds that 12 grand and proceeds to go on a series of binges, then heading straight into work without any sleep, where Eugene, Paulie and Chris drop him off but offer to take him for steak and eggs for breakfast. Now in this episode in particular, I'm talking about sentimental egg education. This signals a turning point for the character of Tony B. And the mention of eggs in this scene comes at a crucial moment in his arc. Where he's momentarily tired and hungover of course, but ultimately grows tired in general. With growing frustrations of trying so hard at becoming a civilian while still facing prejudices for being a convicted criminal, which all builds up to this explosive encounter with Kim, where he assaults him, concluding their potential business relationship. So there's your ending of a relationship. But it's also the end of Tony B's civilian chapter, starting a new chapter for Tony B, where he slips back into bad habits and returns to Tony Soprano to ask if he can start doing a mafia once again. Now, Tony B's story arc has a very special connection with Eggs, a connection, if you will. But I'll cover the other instances as I get to them. But for now, just remember, Tony B, Tony Egg, let's just move on. But steak and eggs, though, interesting choice. Of course, steak is a cut of beef, and beef is exactly the core thematic driving force in the events of the second half of season five. It is wall-to-wall beef. Tony and Johnny Sack... Tony and Phil, Phil and basically anyone that breathes, but specifically Phil and Tony B, Tony B and Tony S. Jesus, it's so fitting that steak and eggs would be the suggested breakfast of choice here. In season six, Tony is approached by Juliana Skiff as she tries to poach Caputo's poultry shop, which Tony owns, on behalf of Jamba Juice. And there's a lot of mentions of eggs in this particular episode. Uh, the chicken and the egg joke. Tony telling Juliana that Caputo's eggs taste 10 times better than any supermarket ones. Tony deciding to sell the building that houses the poultry shop for massive profit. Uh, Tony receives eggs and Patsy also receives eggs at the end of the episode uh, when him and Bert come for their collections and that final scene with Patsy really nails home the point of the thematic symbolism of eggs in this episode where he says what is happening to this neighborhood change now Tony makes a big fuss about values and community and preservation of the old neighborhood but it all goes out the window when he gets a smell of money and can I pull this off a whiff of that skiff Maybe I should have kept that one to myself. Uh, but his decision to sell signals the end of the old neighbourhood and in with corporate gentrification, replacing small family-run businesses with mass-produced chain storefronts. And I feel this one is fairly straightforward as this is a recurring theme in this final season for reasons that I went to in great detail 
in the previous episode. I mentioned Patsy receives eggs and right next to him is Bert Gervaisi, who dies at the end of the show. But aside from that, Tony and Patsy both receive eggs, which is funny as both are involved. At the top of some secret conspiracies to kill again. I went through all that in episode two. And finally, in this category, in Luxury Lounge, Chris is eating eggs in his hotel room when he gets the call that Ben Kingsley has passed on their horror movie script. And this one is probably the least impactful, but it acts as an end to Chris's ambitions to become a movie producer, for now at least. And upon his return, Tony is almost relieved, and he takes the opportunity to insist that these aspirations of his have been put to rest, and that he should now focus back on running his crew properly. But as we know, Cleaver gets made anyway. So now let's move on to our third category, Chekhov's eggs. Beware the eggs of March. If you know your Shakespeare, then I guess you'll understand the reference. This category focuses on eggs pre-empting danger to the audience. Bad omens, if you will. In many ways, breaking the fourth wall. Now, these are not directly connected However, in the peripheral, wider universe, some of these eggs preempt a death that will occur during the same episode. And what's really fucked up is that they all lead back to Carmella. Carmega. <laughs> Fucking shitbag! In the very final episode of season one, Tony walks downstairs in that iconic Technicolor dressing gown. Carmella is making everybody breakfast, specifically scrambled eggs and immediately in the very next scene we see Mikey Parmesi leave his house to go for a run which becomes a run for his life as he's hunted down and shot Clarence Bodica style. In 46 long Carmela is again cooking scrambled eggs. Now it's not as straight away but later in the episode that truck driver catches friendly fire and accidentally gets shot. Again, Chekhov's eggs. We see an egg, we have to see a death. Just like Hawks in Scarface, we see an X, we see a death. Fucking shitbag! In college, AJ makes his bedridden mother a boiled egg, and it's pretty poor. It's pretty terrible. A metaphor, perhaps. After all, AJ is the fruit of Carmela's eggs. Did I actually just use that sentence of course we are all born of eggs more of that later on but aj is represented time and time again as a disappointment much like this subpar boiled egg that he offers her but staying on topic this episode of course marks the very first time we ever see tony kill someone on screen of course febby the rat Fucking in whoever did this Yet another egg reference. Carmela makes AJ French toast, which is toast fried in egg. Some people just call it eggy bread, although in France they call French toast le dust. So this scene comes a couple of scenes before we find out that Payomai perished in that mysterious fire where she was, of course, burned alive, where she became toast herself. Tragic. Yes. Coincidence? Nope. 
fucking shit. One more. While she was going through her schoolgirl crush that she had on Fior, she offers Sad Furio some eggs, which he declines. And this occurs just before he has to go back to Italy to see his dying father. So not only are these eggs referring to Furio Senior, otherwise known as Fiorinia, but it also signals the end of anything romantic between Furio and Carmella, whose power couple name would have been Fiormella or Carmurio. Now, why so many preemptive egg references that go on to show murders and deaths that connect to Carmella? Could it be exposing the disconnect that sees Carmella situated on the outskirts of this life that Tony leads, whilst not directly involved with the gangster life, but still reaping the benefits all the same? The money, the house, the car, the lifestyle. Carmella, the mother, the giver of life on the opposite end. All this death comes with the territory as part of Tony's business interests, and thus these deaths and murders ultimately benefit her. The blood money that leads back into her pockets. And now it's time to talk about that scene. And you know the one I'm talking about, well, we're gonna discuss it in part, at least. In the episode Rat Pack, Uncle Junior rejects features dandelion salad, and he wants an egg. He's so determined to have an egg, he's so egg crazy, he confuses Tony B by calling him Tony Egg. And now immediately after this dialoguing, the phone rings for him, where Bobby passes on the news that Carmine Lupadazzi has died. Of course, from that infamous egg salad. Well, technically, it was the stroke before anyone gets in my face. Now, there are additional points, huge additional points to be made here. But I'm going to have to say that for the next episode because I'm losing my voice and this episode is way bigger than I thought it was going to be. And we're basically at the halfway mark anyway. We've gone through three different categories here. Three out of six. We've seen eggs that equal death, eggs that equal change, and then Chekhov's eggs or preemptive eggs, whatever you want to call them. There's just too much to cover in one episode. So this, again, will have to be another to parter as you can tell <coughs> my voice is barely existent so we will continue with these remaining categories in the next episode and i'll warn you it's going to get pretty grim it's going to get pretty dark and really ugly if i'm being honest and as i mentioned already if you want to support the podcast then obviously like this episode and make sure you subscribed retweet the shit out of it and check my link tree for all the different ways you can support this i will see you for part two make my nephew an egg okay i'll talk to you With Pulp was produced by Bojanic Audio and music was by Klesmergord. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe now. Go shit in your hat.